Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Amber. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Covenant Church. It is so good to be together today in worship. Uh, we are continuing in our message series entitled Real Mature. And in my study and research on this topic, and I came across uh, a, a survey. And I thought in honor of getting back into school, we would start with a quiz. I know, you're excited about this. So I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to turn, you're going to find a partner. So you're going to turn to your, your neighbor next to you, and you're going to give your best guess answer, okay? It's going to be kind of quick, so um, I hope you have your coffee. Okay. So we're talking about becoming real mature and um, thinking about the ages and stages in our lives where we peak doing certain things. So first question, when do you think that you peak in your ability to learn a new language. At what age do you peak in your ability to learn a new language? So turn to your neighbor, give your best guess on when you think you peak in that. Survey says seven years old. I know, Rosetta Stone, man. All right. Uh, In your chances, when do you peak in your chances of making a Nobel Peace Prize winning discovery? What age do you think you peak at that? Tell your neighbor. Survey says 40. So some of you, there's time. Some of you, sorry. Sorry. Okay, what do you peak? What time? What age do you think you peak in your ability uh, to remember faces? Best guess. Survey says 32 years old. Some of you feel very good about that. Some of you not so much. Okay, in your ability to remember names. When do you think you would peak in your ability to remember names? This is not a let yourself off the hook kind of quiz either. Probably could work on this. Okay, survey says 22 years old. This I like this one. What age do you peak in your ability to understand people's emotions, your emotional intelligence? When does that peak? For both genders, guys and girls. Survey says 51. I'll let y'all interpret that however you want. How about this? Your age that you peak in your ability or desire to run a marathon. (laughs) survey says 28 some of you are really glad that's behind you you have a reason now uh what is you peak in your vocabulary yes survey says 71 you know how you develop your cat vocabulary is you keep reading. So just keep reading, reading books. Yes, students. Okay, this one, this one is, uh, this one's interesting. Okay, when do you peak in happiness with your body? You might take a minute for this. Think about this. Turn to your neighbor. What do you think the age is that we peak and how happy or satisfied we are with our body? Okay. Survey says... 74 years old. Oh, gosh. 
Oh, I know. You know, what's so depressing is that the majority of us live the unsatisfied and unhappy lives with our bodies. That we are constantly fighting that and in feeling confident and satisfied with our body. I think at 74 you realize that the outer you is wasting away, but the inner you can continue to grow and mature. And we learn that from Paul, the Apostle Paul. He said in 2 Corinthians 4.16, he said, Therefore, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart, even though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Physically, it is going downhill. If there is any doubt of that, look at the person next to you and say, it's going downhill. And if they're under, and if they're under 25, if they're under 25, say, just hold on, because it will. But it's true. We have aches and pains, and we grunt when we stand up, and, and uh, our hair starts falling out and growing in other places. It's like a hair relocation plan. We wrinkle and we sag, and then we like do things, and we like notice our hands look like our parents' hands. Like, what happened to my youthful, sweet hands? But it's reality. We are every day. We are wasting away. Um, it's encouraging, isn't it? Aren't you so glad you came today? You're like, yes, <gasps> I'm so glad. But Paul says, outwardly we're dying physically wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Renewed meaning, uh, meaning maturing. We are growing spiritually day by day. Outwardly, we don't have an option. We don't get to choose whether we age. Birthdays are going to come and they're going to go. Some of you may fib your birthday on your driver's license or on questionnaires, but the truth is you cannot stop your birthdays from happening. Um, but you do not have to stop growing spiritually. You do not have to peak in your spiritual maturity. Granted, some of us in the room today feel like we have peaked in our relationship with God. Some of us look back over our life and we can think of a moment where we say, I peaked there. I was closer to God than ever. I felt God's presence stronger than ever in my life. I had daily communion with God. I, I, I just felt God's presence with me all the time. And you, you sensed the presence of God in your life more, more joy, more peace. You had more fruit of the spirit. And God says, you can be as spiritually mature as you want. You can continue to grow in maturity with me. God doesn't pull away after you peak with him. And we know that God doesn't pull away because Jesus on the cross came and, and, and paid the consequences of our sin and what separates us from God so that we could continue to be mature and connected to God. The invitation of God is that we know him and that he says, I want to be known by you. I want you to allow yourself to be known by me and grow spiritually. So the stuff we're talking about today as we talk about growing in our spiritual maturity, you are not too young to learn this. And you are not too old to learn this. Because we can, ne we can choose to never stop growing mature in our maturity that way. 
The last couple of weeks, John has unpacked this real mature series. The first week, he talked about uh, the kind of the steps we need to take, the barriers that get in the way of us in our growth. And so the first week was that we are to look back and below and beyond. And so to understand how we developed our God narratives by knowing, understanding our past and being able to identify the things we've been through that have helped shape our vision and our view of God. And that our emotional maturity and our spiritual maturity are are intertwined. They cannot be separated. And then he talked about hugging the cactus last week and embracing our weaknesses and our limitations, that we do have weaknesses and we are limited people. And we learn that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so it is used for the glory of God and God can work through that. And so this week we are going to talk about embracing the grief and the loss and the cross. And that's the message for this week. And look at how we do that. How do we become more mature by embracing grief and loss and pain in our lives? And my hope is that after today, you will have an understanding that the degree into which we can grieve that in our lives, the degree to which we can embrace it and understand it, is what will propel us into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God and with other people. And so I thought I wanted to spend a little time this morning talking about that, and I thought about American Idol. Um, How many of you have watched American Idol? Ever seen an American Idol episode? Raise your hand if you've ever seen just one American Idol episode. Okay. Well, I watched the first season. Kelly Clarkson was the first one of American Idol. Absolutely loved it. American Idol is where people come forward, and they put their uh, talent on display in front of judges, lots of times to be ridiculed and made fun of. But um, the writers of American Idol, now uh, they love to draw out human grief and uh, loss as a way to, I think, lure the audience for compassion. So you hear the backstory of every idol that comes on. So the idea is that the writers share this, like, really sad backstory of these people so that you, like, have compassion and you come back every week and you vote for your favorite American idol. And we've totally uh, bought into this. It's a huge show. It's popular all over the world. And while I enjoy the stories, and I like to hear how people have overcome loss and grief and sorrow in their lives, there's a problem with, with putting that on display in the way that we've done it. And I, it's because we all have a backstory, right? We, we have a backstory. We all have grief and loss in our lives. But somehow, our world has set some standard by which we measure what grief is worthy and what isn't worthy. We look at this person's story of hardship and loss, and it's really sad and heartbreaking, and it's more so than this other person, so therefore maybe I should just keep my mouth shut and deal with it because I don't have it as hard as this person does over there. So the problem with that is that by ranking loss and hardship in our own lives, it diminishes the truth of it. It diminishes something that we all share as part of a human experience, and that is that we will have loss. We all have it. And I got to thinking about the kind of losses that we, uh, as humans, we we deal with in our lives. And and so I thought it might be uh, helpful for just a minute for you to enter in with me. And um, we're talking about grief and loss on a Sunday. So I apologize um, if this is hard. 
but it is important that we talk about this. And so um, the kind of, of losses that we are familiar with, some of them are um, you can't avoid them. So you, they, are, they are with you and they are deep, and there's no way to pretend that they didn't happen. And these are devastating losses, uh, losses where there's a death of a child or premature death of a spouse or a disability, a divorce, um, emotional or sexual abuse, irreversible cancer, infertility, shattering of a lifelong dream, someone we love betrays us or a role model uh, has turned out to be corrupt. I mean, there are real losses that we know and we can claim and identify. And then there's those cataclysmic losses, the, the ones that, are, that shatter a whole society like 9-11 and our whole world, our whole uh, nation grieved. And there's tsunamis and wildfires and those kind of big, wide-scale losses, which we, we can count and we can claim. But then there are these natural losses, these, these everyday events that happen in our lives that we don't feel worthy to name them as a loss, but they are. And, and things like uh, graduating from high school or college, and all of a sudden you don't have your emotional support system anymore or your financial support system or we begin to age, and our skin begins to wrinkle, and cancer begins to show up, and you have to go get it cut out of your head and get a bald spot right there. Dang it. Uh, your once flexible joints begin to betray you. You move to another state, and friendships that you once counted on are no longer there. Relationships don't turn out the way you had anticipated. Your children are growing up and they need you less and less. Your pastor moves. Your small group dissolves. Your church builds a building and suddenly you don't know where you fit anymore. You have to put your favorite lifelong pet to sleep. You're passed over for a promotion at work. A house fire, it destroys your photographs. I mean, the list can go on and on of those things in our lives that affect us deeply in deep, profound ways, but somehow we have not given permission to, to address it as grief. Somehow they're considered insignificant, but they are equally as significant because if we do not deal with them, if we do not embrace them, if we do not address them, and we stuff them down, they will come back eventually. If not understood and worked through, they will keep us from being spiritually mature. And what's important in, in thinking about those losses and, and, and um, identifying them is that um, we can't rate them. There's not some imaginary like scale of worthy and unworthy losses. But loss is loss. Loss and grief are the norm of life, not the exception. In this life, you will have trouble. The end, we will. But take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. We know the end of the story, but what we fail to do often is to admit and accept and understand that all of us struggle. We all have a backstory. And what we're going to talk about today is that a lot of us are either unwilling or unable to identify and acknowledge those losses. 
And maybe we don't understand why it's important to do that. Um, I, I think a lot of times we don't stop to embrace those experiences because we, we see them as an interruption to our everyday lives. We, we think we don't have permission to call it a loss um, because it's not as bad as the other person. There are starving kids in Africa, so therefore my pain isn't as significant. But see, what happens when we don't address and we don't sit with it and we don't embrace it and we don't process it the proper way, then we will, um, uh, we will, it will come out in other ways. Unnecessary pain will, it will happen from that. And what we have done as a culture, as a way to avoid dealing with this, is we've avoided. We've just avoided it altogether. And in that avoidance, we have become one of the most self-medicated cultures ever. We have more prescription anxiety medicine now than ever before. We have more addiction to television, to, gosh, to drugs, to alcohol. Sexual addictions are on the rise. Unhealthy relational attachments. Sometimes even serving in, in the church can be a way for us to avoid dealing with our pain. And I, I wonder, there's no wonder that we don't know how to stop and deal with it because it's not modeled for us. I mean, if you've ever turned on the television and you, you just see tragedy after tragedy and there's, not, there's no time to sit with it, right? It's just, hey, devastating car crash wipes out a family of four and then you go, oh my gosh, that's terrible. And then it moves right on to just another terrible tragedy, and we've become, it's become this like superficial time that we, in, in, this, in this world that we're in right now. So we don't learn how to stop and lament and grieve over loss through our culture. And to be quite honest with you, I don't know that the church has done that good of a job of it either. I mean, we love to come to church and feel really, really great about what we hear. Yes, because the truth is, no matter what you're going through, Jesus has already overcome it. And that is the good news. And we do want to point people to that. But the truth is, we need to deal with the loss and the grief. And we need to have permission to lament. So, how do I know that that's important? Well, I read my Bible. And it's in the scriptures. So the Bible writers point us to times and time again, stories of lament and grief and ways in which we can address it. I have a couple up on the screen. Hebrews 5, 7, Jesus offers prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. In Genesis 6, Noah's generation reveals that God grieved about humanity. God grieved about humanity. Lamentations was a book written by the prophet Jeremiah who wrote after the fall of Jerusalem. And if you have never read Lamentations, read Lamentations. It's a prophet crying out to God. Ecclesiastes 3 uh, says, there's a time for everything, a season for every acting under the sun, including a time to mourn. To reject God's seasons of grief and sadness as they come is really to only live half of our lives. And Jesus came, we read in John 10, 10, Jesus came to give us life to the full, a full and abundant life. Came to engage our full life, not help us escape the reality of it. Story of King David. King David was a man known as a man after God's own heart. 
And King David was the majority writer of the Psalms. And the Psalms, more than half of the Psalms are dedicated to lament, to crying out, God, where are you in the pain? That is a common theme when you read the Psalms in the scripture. It's this uh, apparent, apparent absence of God. In the middle of pain and grief and loss and disappointment, King David says, my God, where are you? And it is okay to ask that question. It's okay to lament in grief. It is not a sign of weakness. It is not a sign that you lack faith. Because David, a God, a man after God's own heart, did that. And Jesus, God's heart, did that too. See, uh, what did Jesus do when he was de- when dealt with grief? Well, we read that he wept. So we know he grieved. And that verse, Jesus wept, came after the story of Lazarus. And we read in that story that Jesus was on his way and Lazarus had died. And Jesus loved Lazarus. And he loved Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters. And as he's coming to see Lazarus, and he already knows that Lazarus is dead, his sisters meet Jesus out and they say, Where were you? If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. They're looking at Jesus. Jesus, where are you? Where were you? In the midst of Lazarus' death, they're going, he's going to be here. He's going to be here. I needed his show. And Jesus, in her questioning and in her pain, he didn't say, suck it up, get over it. Um, Don't you know my goodness is I'm here all along? He didn't say, there are starving kids in Africa. What did he do? He wept. He grieved with them. With them. He gave them something to hold onto that said, I know and I feel you and I have compassion. And we're going to take a moment and we are going to grieve the loss. But then the glory comes on the other side of that. And you know that he brings Lazarus from the dead. On the cross, this ultimate act, he's lamenting. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, right? And he could have said to all of the people who were looking on, hey, it's okay, it's okay, God will be victorious, it'll be okay, you don't need to cry, don't worry, don't worry, you know, here, you know, rub some dirt on it, it'll be fine. He said, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, if you want to understand the character of God, look to the God that Jesus revealed. Look at God's heart. And so in doing that, we are asked with the question, how do we respond then? Great, Amber, thanks. You've made me dredge up all of the pain and the grief in my life. This is really helpful. Um, how do I do this? What do I do this? How do I, how do, I do this? Well, Jesus said um, to his disciples, anyone who wants to be my disciple, okay, so this is, this is to us, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And he says, take your cross, take to embrace the cross, the pain, the grief, the loss, to deal honestly and prayerfully with how we are feeling. Give ourselves permission to question God, to ask the hard questions, cry in the pain, to um, be willing to be comforted by God. And then you can begin to heal. And see, healing doesn't happen just by embracing the pain. That's only one part. We can't stay there. 
it is, and it, when that pain is so deep and so profound, sometimes you can't help but embrace it. But what we've learned is that unforgiveness and holding on to pain and embracing it too long will stop us from healing. It will stop us from growing. We know this. You know, the majority of the grief and the loss that we experience in our lives come at the hands of other humans. So we can point to someone in our life who is the reason for what we're going through. And sometimes that person is ourselves. Sometimes it's something that we can't let go of. Sometimes it's something we can't forgive ourselves of. And in order to move past this, we have to forgive. The process of forgiveness always involves grieving before letting go. Whether you are the person giving forgiveness or the person requesting forgiveness. And here's something that we have to remember. Our forgiving forgiveness is for the benefit of our own souls and our relationship with God, not for the benefit of the person who you are forgiving, unless that is the yourself. And this is a really hard lesson for me um, personally. I, um, I thought that growing up to forgive someone meant that I had to have this conversation where I would say, hey, um, I f- I'm mad at you and here's why. And they would receive it really well and they would go, oh yes, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? I thought that is how forgiveness worked. And I don't know about you, but that is really hard to achieve. That whole conversation is what we call reconciliation. That's where both of you come to the table and say, I'm sorry, me too. Let's love and skip off into the sunset. Human reconciliation is not a guarantee when you forgive someone. Reconciliation with God, that's a guarantee. That's the entire reason we are here. That is the God story from creation of time to now. God has been working on reconciling us into relationship with him at whatever cost. Reconciliation with God, guarantee. Reconciliation with humans, not a guarantee. Forgiveness has to happen. So, I, um, I was seven years old when my mom, I was in the front seat of the car and we were pulling out of base housing. And my mom said, your dad and I are getting a divorce. And I just will never forget that moment. Age seven is kind of where, like, my timeline of my life begins. I can remember things from there. And I remember just feeling really uh, alone and abandoned by him. But he was really gone a lot. My dad was in the Air Force, and he traveled a lot. And so over the next 15 years, um, my mom and I would be, um, she was single, a single mom, and she remarried uh, my stepdad at the time. But over 15 years, my dad would marry and divorce five additional times. And each time, he would bring another woman into our lives, and I would be expected to welcome another mom who could never touch my mom. But I was a really good kid. And so I would do my best, and yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. And then he would travel, and so I'd be with these women who he was trying hard to, like, create this family you know, and um, his second wife, I had two brothers, were 10 years, 10 years apart by then. And so it was, um, I would, I would do my best. 
I would do my, and I didn't tell my mom a lot of things that would happen, a lot of emotional and physical mistreatment to me. But I would just keep quiet because I wanted my dad to be happy and proud. Well, in 2000, I got married, and we moved to Melbourne, Florida. My dad got married again. He found himself a good one, is what he said. And uh, they moved to Cocoa Beach, which is like, you know, 15 minutes from our house. And I thought, now's the time. Now I am going to get to have a relationship with my dad. Like, I'm married, and I'm, we're going to, I just had this whole big dream, you know. And then um, they got pregnant. And, and so he had, so I have another sister who's 10 months older than Aiden. We, we make him call her aunt, just out of fun. <laughs> I love you. But... Um, so then I, so then we got pregnant and we were trying really hard to build this relationship. And I remember, I'll never forget the moment I was driving to my Lamaze class and it was like eighth month of my pregnancy. And I was just calling, I'm trying really hard to have this relationship with my dad that I wanted my whole life. And I called the number that I had called for two years and it was disconnected and he moved and he didn't tell me. He moved to California right before the birth of his first grandchild without a word, just gone. And I was done. I was like, this is too painful. I, I, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. He's not going to get to meet his grandson. He is not going to get to know me anymore. And I'm a pretty darn good kid. So I was working at the church, and I remember sitting in, our, in a, a staff meeting one time, and our pastor, those pastors tend to say things that mess you up, he, he said, um, you know, we have to forgive as disciples of Jesus. He says, it's a commandment. You will forgive. Seventy times seven. And I thought, well, I'll never get to, my dad will never apologize. And he said, no, 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 this is, you forgive because this is you and God. Because you hold on to unforgiveness and it creates resentment. And that's, we are supposed to live full lives. And so in order to do that, you have to forgive those who hurt you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I'm like, God, dang it. Okay. So I began this process of praying for my dad. Not talking to him. Haven't talked to him. My two brothers had come back into, into my lives, and they were uh, our lives, and they were still, um, they were just graduating high school, so we were like 10 years apart. And um, we, all three of us were estranged from my dad at this point. But I'm praying, and we, we, don't, we didn't bash him or talk about him, we just tried to move on. And so one day my dad called, and he said, hey, heard you had a baby, congratulations. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. So you like fake nice because I'm like, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to forgive you. So hi. Yes. I'm so glad to hear from you. I remember telling John, like, I don't even like him. Like, I don't even like this guy. He's my dad. I'm supposed to like forgive him and talk to him. I don't even want to do that. But I was working on it. And it was amazingly, I was able to start having conversations with my dad. Now, granted, we just talked about the weather and football and I don't even know what else. Um, But I could feel my heart soften to my dad. And um, it was a really interesting time because I, um, while I'm with my brothers and with my dad, I, I could feel something change in me. And I, I think he was trying, he could notice something else too. So one day he calls and um, he, he says, um, hey, um, you're not going to believe this, but 
I just got served papers from your brothers, and they want to disown me. Can you believe that? And I'm thinking, yeah, (laughs) totally. Uh, They wanted to be adopted by, they wanted their name to be their stepdad's name. And I thought, man, thank you, God. Because in that moment when I, had I not been going through that process of forgiving my dad, I would have had a whole different conversation with him than I did then. But I was able to say in that moment when he said, was I that bad of a dad? I said, dad, you just weren't there. And other men came in and raised us. And it began this like process of healing between he and I and my brothers. And the story isn't done being written. But the ability to give my dad grace when he did not deserve it, before we were even able to have a conversation, was something only God can do. And is a miracle that only God can do. See, the weight that is lifted from me without carrying around the resentment. Now let me, I have to forgive my dad like every day. Like those thoughts creep in all the time and I get aggravated and I I think of what I missed out as a kid and I grieve the loss of my childhood. Every time I see John and I think of his life and his dad who was there and did science fair projects and built forts and they went on family vacations, I think, oh man, well, that'd have been awesome. (laughs) And then I watch him with our kids and I watch him with our daughter and I think, golly, Boy, I'm so glad he had someone to model that after. Because I sure didn't get it. But we can learn from that. Forgiving others when they don't deserve it isn't for them. It's for us. See, Jesus, grief-stricken, hung on that cross, betrayed by one of his best friends, said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, that denying of self, that forgiving piece, that is painful. That is hard to do. That's the Jesus way. That is not the world's way. The world's way says, give it back to him. Don't forgive him. Cut him out of your life. That's better. That'll, that'll show him. And maybe it will show him, but it'll ro- ruin me. See, that's not what it takes to become mature. Mature takes that otherworldly approach. It takes the Jesus way. Forgive 70 times 7. Embracing it is painful and hard, but working through that in that relationship with Jesus is the only way to become fully mature. See, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, I forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. He was talking about the Jews and the Romans who had put him there, but he was talking to you and he was talking to me. And he was saying, Father, forgive Amber. She doesn't realize that her dad didn't have a father figure who had any type of commitment in his life. Forgive Amber. She doesn't understand that every woman he's brought in is an attempt for him to try to make it right for what he did to her mom. Forgive God, forgive Amber. She doesn't understand what it's like to be a parent. One day she will, and she's going to screw up, and she's going to need forgiveness from her kids and from her husband. God, forgive her dad. He doesn't realize what he did. He doesn't know what he did. He doesn't know what abandonment feels like. He doesn't, and if he knew, he probably wouldn't keep doing this. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
To be Jesus' disciple means to deny ourselves, to forgive, to take up that cross, embrace the grief and the loss and the cross, and follow Jesus, which means in obedience as well. And then we will grow in our maturity. We're going to do, uh, we're going to have a little bit of time this morning to, um, I'm just giving you a little bit of time to do some business. <laughs> I'm going to, actually, I'm going to call the, the music team forward, and um, you have your Connect card with you um, on the back of there. There's a place for prayers. Um, you don't, you can, you can write, if you would like us to pray with you, if there's something going on that you need some prayer with, that you need us to meet you in prayer, we want to do that. Sometimes it's not even knowing where you're at, recognizing what's going on, and, and this can be some time this morning for you to do that. On that card also, there's a place, like maybe, maybe you are at a point where you're like, okay, I am just ready to surrender this whole thing. I'm trying it my own way. It's not working. And you can say today, God, I'm going to just give it to you. You can have my life. You lead me. I want to obey and follow you. Maybe you want, it's time for you to, to display your faith publicly, proclaim your faith in baptism. We are doing that next week. You can take that next step. Let us know on that card. We collect that um, at this point in our offering, uh, in the morning where we collect our offering, but also these cards. And so I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. But as, as they are coming forward, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And if you would, um, go ahead and put your hands in a, in, a, in a fist and put them out in front of you. And we're going to pray this morning. And... Um, in your fist, I want you to, to imagine whatever it is that you are holding on to, and I want you to grip it tight. That, that disappointment and that pain and that loss that you are holding on to that you just cannot seem to let go of. And this morning, I want you to hold that, and, I, and if, if you are comfortable, if you want to, just release it and say, God, help me. Help me move past it. Help me see where you are working. Give me the strength to forgive myself for where I messed up. Give me the strength to forgive those who have hurt me. God, put people in our lives that will help us walk through this journey. God, give, make us sensitive to those around us. Give us the strength to forgive. Give us the strength to reconcile. Give us the strength to follow you day by day. In your name we pray. Amen.